All right. Hello to all the cinephiles out there. Uh, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Marquee Spotlight, uh, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. Uh, my name is Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my jovial co-host, Chelsea Burnett. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Aren't you just so excited that we're finally going to be doing this? I'm very, very excited. Can't believe it's it's really happening. Today is the day. Yeah, so just a little background. Uh, Chelsea and I are both just huge fans of movies and all kinds of different movies. And I listen to movie podcasts, but I thought... There's such a variety, but I just want one podcast where you just talk about an eclectic array of things and just have fun. And I haven't found that. I get a little bit here and I get a little bit here. And I finally was like, I'll just do it myself. There you go. Yeah. I know. I was really happy that it seemed like we were on the same same wavelength when you were bringing this up to me. And um, I, I, feel like, I feel like we can bring something new to the table and I'm excited to dive in and see what we can do. Yes, me too. So uh, the theme, if you will, will always be called, title of the show, The Marquee Spotlight. And for the first episode, The Marquee Spotlight, today, um, we're going to talk about why we love movies and what we love about movies. Um, it's funny, so when I meet new people, I often ask, and I, I, a couple of years ago, I was you know, doing a lot of dating, and to, to, to really spark conversation, I would ask people, what are your top five favorite movies and what's the best movie you've seen in the last five years? I've never found it to like not be something people get excited to talk about, but it's also, you can learn a lot about people from their favorite movies. So yeah. I want to use that theme for today. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second, but we're going to start off with some news. Are you ready? Let's go for it. Yeah. All right. So the first news story I want to bring up is, of course, we're going to talk about the Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder's Justice League dropped on HBO Max a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, did you watch it? I that investment, no. I and I didn't see the original Justice League, but I've been through my different movie podcasts I listen to. I've been hearing about all the buzz. I I listened to one that went pretty in depth, and for the most part, it had pretty positive reviews. I think for the major like DC fanboys, um, there was a lot to take from it uh, that they. They, they were really pleased with. So, um, and I kind of root for DC more than Marvel because they sort of seem like the underdogs at the moment. But uh, since you did see the Snyder, t Snyder Cut, I imagine I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I love that you're rooting for them as the underdog. I appreciate that. I uh, So full disclosure, I'm a big comic book fan. I have comics. I've been reading comics forever. Um, that being said, I am quite burnt out with superhero movies. I'm, I'm exhausted. I But... Uh, you know, I, um, I I think what I got excited to watch it was because of the meme factor. <laughs> yeah. And me and my buddy were like, oh, here we go. It actually happened. I, I really appreciate that it came out of, you know, viral marketing. Yeah. People calling for it and it happened. Mm -hmm. And now what I think is so interesting. So, well, let me answer your question first. Four hours. I will say the pacing, it didn't feel four hours. Mm -hmm. It is a lot of fun. It is vastly superior to the Josh Whedon version. And we don't have to go to the whole story. I think most people know Zack Snyder was on it. There were some concerns from the studio. Unfortunately, his his daughter took her own life. He stepped away. He dedicated the Snyder Cut to her. Mm -hmm. um, Josh Whedon came in and did a bunch of rewrites. The movie was not good. Um, 
And uh, so I found the movie to mostly be enjoyable. If that's all we get, that's fine. He does set it up for other movies. And I think that was just to get his vision across. But uh, now people are clamoring for to continue the Snyderverse. Um, HBO subscriptions went up 64% since since that Snyder Cut came out for, yeah um so people watched it a lot of people watched it now did everybody like it i don't know but there is another surge um to continue the Snyderverse from the fans we'll see what happens yeah he um as a little side note i promise i won't try and go on too much of a tangent on this but i listened to i listened to a really really interesting podcast about the hollywood con queen and it was um it turned out to actually be a man um who was in i believe indonesia and was pretending to be uh hollywood producers and scamming people out of a lot of money by sending them to uh to indonesia and telling them they were going to be working on this project but one of the people that the con artist pretended to be was Zack Snyder's wife and hearing um I didn't know that she I didn't know that she was such a uh, a big name producer in the business but she was interviewed in it and came across sounding so classy and I thought they sound like such a great creative team like he is very supportive of her and vice versa and I just kind of stepped away with a whole new appreciation for the two of them as creative partners so um I and that is so sad about about his daughter i've i but i'm i think it's great that he was able to come back because it seems like this is sort of uh extra meaningful for him and for the fans that he could do this so yeah, yeah. and i don't want to dive too much onto snyder in case yeah i'm sure we'll bring him up again on a superhero podcast or something Maybe we'll do a whole snyder podcast um i find it odd that he's such a divisive Mm -hmm. um director with people like fans and stuff people who think he's amazing or they hate his guts and i don't get it i mean to me he's he's michael bay shouldn't be divided he shouldn't be any more divisive than michael bay Mm -hmm. he makes you know he doesn't make flaming young movies he makes pizza he makes pizza movies and yeah exactly he made people really excited to to go see his work on the on the big screen and i think i think his style is pretty far reaching. I think it's influenced um, not only superhero movies, but probably mainly superhero movies of the last like 10 or 15 years, but starting from what he did with 300. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. What people are so quick to hate these days. And I'm not sure what, what just because of a certain style that he likes to film in. I'm not really sure. Well, that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down <laughs> on this podcast, but uh, let's, uh, the next news story I want to talk about. Um, so Leica, mm-hmm. hometown studio, yeah. based, um, known for their really amazing anim- claymation animated movies. Um, they just announced they're making their first live action movie. I think it's really interesting. Leica is, first of all, Leica does not get enough attention. The movies no. are amazing. I think the one people most people have seen is Coraline, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's so fun too. Yeah. Um, I also... Really loved Kubo and the Two Strings and it just did not get enough attention. Thankfully, they got some attention with uh, The Missing Link. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I think this is an interesting way to go because I think they make quality movies. They need to get more attention. And maybe this is the way to do it. 
um, interesting. Your husband, Micah, worked at Leica for a little bit. Yes. Um, so I don't know if you have any insight. I, I asked him um, uh, if he had heard about this and um, he he hadn't. I was the first one to break the news to him and he sort of like shrugged when he heard it. I think he was like, I guess I kind of saw this coming because Travis Knight, um, who uh, who cre- uh, is the founder of Leica, he went on to direct Bumblebee. So that was his big departure from... Uh, the studio to go and do a live action film and when he did that there was some tension um at at uh, like a studios micah was working there at the time when that was announced and i think people were worried about how invested travis was going to be in the company but i think he's really uh proved to people that he still like is very passionate um about uh stop motion about what like stands for but now maybe he's trying to bring the experience he gained working on bumblebee to just uh i don't know broaden their horizons kind of diversify i think it's i i think it's smart um i just don't know i'm not sure where they're gonna set this up if they're gonna continue to film do this live action film in the northwest i mean we have a great film scene here and um so that would be amazing if if they choose to still keep it local to portland but um but yeah it seems like it's so far off because they optioned a a novel that hasn't even been published yet (laughs) yeah you i'm glad you brought that up yeah it's uh john brownlow who i've never heard of but he looks like he's done some writing producing and directing very but much smaller projects Mm -hmm. that i'm not familiar with uh but this is his first foray into writing a novel and i don't know it's interesting it's like the novel hasn't even come out yet they signed him to make the movie but uh it it sounds like it's going to be more of like a young adult Mm -hmm. um novel so um yeah fascinating news i i i think it's a good move by them to diversify because although the as i said the the animated movies are wonderful they just don't seem to get enough traction for some reason and hopefully this will help uh expand the studio true and those animated films i mean they take two plus years to make uh, because of what goes into the stop motion element of it. So they can make a live action film in a lot less time and hopefully get a profit on that much quicker. So hopefully it's all for the sake of bettering the real, I think, bread and butter of their business, which is the stop motion, which is so impressive and gorgeous. And I want to see more of it. And I just hope they get the right, a good script, as good as Coraline's was to just take them back to the rightful place on animation mount olympus i think they deserve <laughs> yeah i'm with you um i i want i want their anime i want their animated uh, movies to get more attention but if this works then go for it go, go for travis it. go like a portland studio <laughs> um all right so that was the news we want to talk to uh, touch on today so let's move in today's the spotlight um so chelsea we wanted to do this podcast we both love movies we love talking about movies we were finding ourselves in get-togethers talking about movies <laughs> and we we're like why don't we just do this podcast so why do we love movies so much not just you and me just everybody out there that loves some people don't like movies but <laughs> people that do like movies why why do we love movies so much it is funny i would say um i when um 
when I, we have weekly teams calls at work and almost everyone in my department is uh, really into movies, into TV. Um, but I have one coworker that while we all work in the TV business here in Portland, um, she really doesn't know much about film or TV. So she always just kind of sits back and listens and she's like, yeah, it's great to see you all get so excited talking about this. stuff." So she's like, I really don't know who you're talking about, who these actors are, what any of this is. And it blows my mind that she doesn't seem to care. But she, because I just think everyone loves movies. Like everyone would want to talk about it. But she, um, I, it's she's such a good sport though that she just still listens to us all ramble. But I, I think jumping off from there, yeah, their case in point with the exception of my one coworker, it usually gets our meetings going every week. We start by talking about what we're watching and getting excited about. It's just something that you can jump right into. Like you were saying on when you were dating, it's one of the first questions you ask, like your favorite movies. You can glean a lot about a person. And sometimes it's fun to like surprise someone where you, you may think that I only like this type of movie, but I also like this movie too. So, um, and it's pretty dark and you might not. So... Yeah, which, which we'll get into later. Hopefully I'll surprise you with some of my picks. You may not think I like as dark a movie as I do. But um, but yeah, movies, they're awesome. My family, we were always watching them. My, my, my mom's side of the family, I would say, like there were always People magazines around. So we talked a lot about celebrities and that sort of the side of the business and gossip. But like, I, I just always felt like there was... A movie playing, a movie going. We would always be talking through movies, and which bothers some people. But for me, I have a lot of fond memories of that. So it always just got conversation going, got people laughing, gave us something to talk about. But why do you love movies so much? You know, it's interesting. You know, I was just talking about people who don't like movies, and I'm always interested when I meet somebody who they love to read and they don't like movies mm -hmm. because I think that we like those two things for the same reasons, and it gives us a connection to humanism mm -hmm. and i'm not always you know i don't watch point break for the humanism i watch it because it's a lot of fun and sometimes that's it sometimes the world is difficult and you just want to turn your brain off yeah and you know dive into something fantastical um you know watch a situation that isn't realistic and that's why it's fun yeah. you know but i think about the depth of some movies and you know, a movie can make you see the world differently, can make you think about people differently. And I will definitely get into that with 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 one of my my movies. Um, I, you know, it just makes you get inside your own self, inside your own head and through entertainment. Yeah. You know, and we don't always watch. There's different ways, like there's different categories of entertainment when it comes to movies. Right. I was thinking about uh, Spielberg yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. You could debate his most entertaining movie is Jaws. Is that his best movie? I would say it's Schindler's List. Like, mm -hmm. it's in quality. And I mean, and you may not agree. And that's just so great because we're just going to talk about it. I know. It's so subjective. That is, is so, and it's so, um, movies, I guess because of the, the scale that they're on and the far reach that they have, it's so impressive uh, to see how it can connect uh, people and like someone might connect with this one part of a movie they feel like oh my gosh I've never been seen before I never felt like someone understood how I felt until I saw this this film and it just made me feel so much more validated and then um, it's the yeah the power of movies is is 
pretty impressive. I, um, uh, I, I think it's just the grand scale of it. Um, and it's easier for me sometimes to talk about movies than it is TV. I think just because of the work that goes into making movies too, just seems like there's, there's so much, uh, on the line when people make movies. There's usually a lot of, uh, it's a, a lot of stuff that has to get crammed in, uh, to, um, the shorter time period of like, okay, we have like a few months to make this movie. We're putting all this money into it and I hope it's going to work out because it's going to premiere at the theater. And if no one goes and sees it, then it could be forgotten forever where I feel like uh, the stakes just seem so much higher than TV to me. And that also makes movies, uh, the movie business seem a little more exciting and interesting to me too. That's a great point. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, we've gotten more quality television with the streaming services, mm -hmm. obviously, but there's definitely more depth, I would say, particularly with like actors. Like yeah. certain people are just TV actors and they're not movie actors. And mm -hmm. that's just, you know, the way it is, I'm afraid. But uh, do you remember the, the first movie, like maybe as a kid where you were just that made you realize like, oh, this is fun. I love this. Yeah. So I've been I've been thinking about that. I was trying not to go like with the Disney choice because that's often probably for kids what they're going to go to. So Disney for sure, like I was into a lot of the princess movies, but um, the first movie that kind of blew my mind in terms of the scale and like this is what movies are, um, and it's kind of a divisive movie now, um, but is Forrest Gump. I don't know when we would watch that movie um, at home as a family and I feel like we watched it Oh my goodness. I, I don't even know. I feel like we were watching it once uh, every month. It seemed like my sister and I were kind of obsessed with it for a while. But Forrest Gump just seemed like the story it was telling. I think I had never seen, um, I had never seen a story of that grand scale. And I keep bringing up scale and I need to come up with a new, a new word, but it, it was just, uh, uh, I was just blown away by not only the use of I think uh, what Robert Zemeckis was doing with um, some of the uh, effects he was, the special effects he was doing to bring a lot of these old like newsreels and um, historical figures kind of in and to shape it into the story of Forrest Gump. But um, also I think seeing like Tom Hanks acting in that movie really blew me away as a kid and got me excited about actors um the also seeing about how music was used in that movie to really play into the story um also meant a lot to to me um so yeah I, Forrest Gump seems to be up there for one of the first movies that really got me excited about movies and Titanic as well Titanic's probably the first movie I remember going to the theater to see and um just being completely blown away. And that movie is PG-13. I was in second grade at the time when my mom took me, and I think my mom felt very mixed about it. She was like, I'm not sure if I should do this, but everyone's taking their kids to see Titanic. So, and then I'm so glad she did because I ended up buying all these movie books about Titanic. And that's when I think I got very excited Down about thinking, thinking about learning about James Cameron's style, what he put his crew and actors through. And I was like, oh, this is how a movie movie is made okay nice yeah i think for me and i'm i'm a little older than you um i was five years old when the michael keaton batman came out <laughs> and my parents took me to the theater and i had my batman shirt on and it was funny so they took me to it the first time halfway through the movie there was a thunderstorm and the power went out and we had 
passes and had to come back a different day to finish oh, the movie. But yeah. I was just blown away. I was just five years old and I was just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life and nothing will ever, ever be better. Of course, that was ridiculous. But but yeah. What about the first movie you remember? Maybe you're a little older. I made you go, oh, movies can be like this. Whoa. Um, I would say I so. I started getting really into um, filmmaking in middle school. I remember doing a project. uh, We were given a choice to like talk about anything we wanted. It was for a language arts class. Like, oh, you're going to give a speech on the topic of your choosing. And I decided to talk about like how a film camera works and (laughs) gives uh, some background and yeah, so you were really into this stuff. I, I was very into it. Um, and uh, I mean, I still am. I think sometimes I kick myself like, should I have gone to film school? Should I have taken things more seriously? But no regrets. Um, but uh, as I got older, a film, probably the, the, the most prestigious film, and now I'm kind of moving beyond middle school, but like a prestigious film that I felt like very like proud of myself for seeing and liking was Atonement. And oh, that's um, a great movie. yeah, I saw that when I was, I think, a senior in high school and I saw it in the theater and I was just I remember sitting back in my seat in the theater, just taking it all in. It was so, that that first half of the film is so lush and gorgeous and the performances I like James McAvoy I was like so just I was in love with him from the moment I saw him on the screen in that movie and the score was just that click clacking of the keys I was I was so into it I remember when it was up for um Oscars I was like especially when it won the Oscar for for best score I was like feeling I was just had all this pride for for that film and like it deserved it it was so compelling and um (laughs) so yeah atonement would probably be that that film that that kind of reinvigorated my my love of cinema and made me want to like dive a little deeper and explore a little more um about uh not just talking about like the big blockbusters um that all of us kind of grow up seeing sure yeah um yeah for me I, i i need to foreshadow a little bit my answer to that question is my number one on my list. So I won't, I won't share it yet, but I will say certainly younger growing up, you know, like the blockbusters and could watch us, you know, I don't think there's an age limit for enjoying Shawshank Redemption, for example, you know, we always love that. But my number one on my list was the first movie that made me go, Oh wait, you, you can do that and completely change the way I thought about movies. So, uh, super excited to get into this now. I'm Cannot wait to hear what your answers are. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do our top five favorite movies, starting from five to one. But I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Um, so whenever you're ready, take it away. Chelsea, what is your number five favorite movie all time? Okay. I'm actually doing a last minute scratch out. I don't know what I was thinking by forgetting about this movie. <laughs> but it's taking what was there in the number five <laughs> spot. And it's it's going into its rightful place in my top five. And that is American Psycho. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. Something wrong? Patrick? You're sweating. Oh, good movie. 
Yes. Yes. I, um, that film, I can't even remember how it exactly got put on my radar, but I remember seeing it in high school, uh, rented it on Netflix when they were still mailing DVDs to your house. And I had like taken over my parents' Netflix account. I was like, yeah, I want to watch this movie. And I, I don't think I had ever seen something so visceral before. And I felt like um, it was, I, I felt really cool about watching it. I was like, this is, this is scary. It's upsetting, but it's funny in a really dark way. And um, I was um, just, Christian Bale just totally embodied the Patrick Bateman character. And I still feel like it's a crime that he wasn't recognized um, for best act nominated for best actor for that. Um, cause I think he brought so much to, uh, to that role. I think and, it was a little ahead of its time. People mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say like feminism was, um, on my radar. I, I hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about like feminist theory or anything, but as I learned that the, the screenplay was written by a woman and what the film was directed by a woman, I kind of started to look at things a little differently in that movie and try and better understand why, what these women wanted to say about, um, greed and excess in the 80s, toxic masculinity, whatever that may be. Yeah. And, and just kind of, I, cause I think a lot of people could just on the surface level, look at that movie and say, oh my gosh, look at all these terrible, terrible, violent acts that are being committed against women. But I don't think that movie is glorifying it. I think we're supposed to see, or how I kind of see Patrick Bateman is somewhat of like a pathetic character. And um, I also think like, we can see how society has kind of failed him and that like, and, and that we're sort of left at the end of the movie wondering like, was he allowed to get away with all this? Was this all in his head? Um, where do we go with that? But, but yeah, American Psycho, it's a movie I like to watch like once a year. I think, I think it's, um, always something new to pick up from it. And it's got a great uh, cast of supporting characters too. Yeah. It's a great movie. And, um, I love the balance of, serious themes with humor mm-hmm. and the humor's done so well and it's oddly subtle and not subtle yeah and i think that if you don't really know what you're watching you won't really pick up on it yeah. um but i'm also always down for any movies that um are critiques on the 80s yuppie <laughs> yeah. um i still need to see wall street <laughs> that is a conversation for a different day it's a good movie uh oliver stone's films are <laughs> They're very unique, uh, but yeah, um, but that's that's a great number five. Love it. Um, all right, what is your number four? My number four is Panic Room by David Fincher. It's called a panic room. What? A safe room, a castle keep in medieval time. I've read about these. They're quite in vogue in high end construction. One really can't be too careful about home invasion. This is perfect. The alarm Fascinating. I am, I am, wow. Okay. I Please continue. Yeah. So, um, Panic Room is, um, it's another movie. I think it's always great to put on, um, in the fall, like 
once once a year once the leaves start changing it's such a good like autumnal movie and it makes me wish i lived in new york sometimes it's just got such got paint david fincher paints such a good picture of this um this very what you might think very protected world like i mean there's a literal panic room and you think that you're safe because of that but so quickly the way things start to unravel in this very um it 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 just the one one thing trickles down to another and it all just kind of falls to pieces uh with still our hero like Jodie Foster ending up on top um and safe with her daughter i'm glad it didn't have like a a head in the box moment at the end like seven no i seven is amazing but i'm sort of happy to to see that you know no one no one really dies uh none of the people you really care about i think die in panic room but um which so you know but it still is a thriller it still keeps you on the edge of your seat and um i think it was a great showcase for a little kristen stewart at the time i think she was perfect casting to be Jodie Foster's daughter, Forrest Whitaker's performance is so complicated, and I, um, I think uh, he's got uh, he plays a great like antagonist that um, you sort of root for, and um, Jared Leto, who I think is really playing into his douchebaggery in that movie, is very funny, and then Dwight Yoakam also is. Um, it's really spooky. And um, I only knew of him as a country singer. I didn't know he was an actor until I saw that movie. But he's a really good, scary actor. So Panic Room, it just totally gripped me, I think. Uh, and it was my, I think it was my first introduction to David Fincher. Um, so uh, for that, and I love David Fincher so much. And so I think for that, Panic Room <coughs> will always hold a special place in my heart. And I just, I think it needs to be talked about more. And I sometimes wonder if it isn't talked about more because it's, um, I, I, because it's a female led film. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I, I hope more people give it a shot because Jodie Foster is incredible in it. So, yeah, yeah you know, I don't want to dive too much into panic room now because full disclosure our next episode we're going to talk about fincher we both just love david fincher and um i it's not very high on my fincher list but that doesn't mean i don't like it it's a it's a good movie uh you know i saw it pretty recently for the first time i don't know why i put it off for so long um i think he accomplished what he set out to do with that movie i don't think another director would have gotten I mean, I think the premise, there's not a lot of meat on those bones. And I don't think another director would have gotten that much out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's just a testament to him. But fascinating choice. I, I, you, uh, you really took me for a ride with that one. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. speaking of that, let's keep the ride going. What's your number three? Okay. This shifting gears um, is uh, Cinderella, Disney's Cinderella. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, um, that film, I just feel so good when i watch it it is um i love i love the music um i i i i think the cinderella character is just um she's i i just my heart goes out to her i i love i love the dynamic with the evil stepmother and how she's played up to be 
she's she's extremely scary in my opinion and and there's the scene when she locks in in the room and the mice have to fetch the key it's really i think it's a super compelling story i i think the the stakes are just the right level so anytime i watch it i just feel uh i'm i'm always entertained by it and it was one of my favorite movies as a little girl and um i my 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 papa used to tell a story that I would make him watch that movie with me. And then I, as soon as it would be over, I would ask him to rewind it and play it over again. So um, I just felt like it, it had to have a place on my list because of what it meant to me as a little girl. And um, as as I continued growing up, I, I still like to revisit it. And I think it just takes me to a happy place. And um, I just love everything about Cinderella. Yeah, you know, there's no denying those Disney classics. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely, I mean, we watched them all growing up. Uh, I definitely think Cinderella is more geared towards, towards, towards girls, Mm -hmm. but it's not to say there weren't, I mean, certainly the animation you can appreciate. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't doubt you would pick a Disney classic (laughs) and there it is. Yep. It had its spot. There it is. All right. So what's your number two? We're getting into the Getting into the top tier levels here. Yeah. we My number two, and my number one and number two are difficult to decide, um, but I guess I picked it based on rewatchability for me is where my number one went, but this is very close, and my number two is Zodiac. Who am I speaking with? This is the Zodiac speaking. Is there something I can call you that's a little less ominous? Sam. Sam. Is there somewhere we can meet Sam and talk about this? Meet me on top of the Fairmont Hotel without anyone else or I'll jump. Have you unit go to the Fairmont Hotel? Double Fincher. Yeah. Yes. Um, Zodiac is a film. When I find out people haven't seen that movie, I just want to shake them and be like, you, what are you, you have to stop what you're doing and go see that movie right now because it will just... My jaw just drops thinking about the work that went into making that movie, how much detail David Fincher uh, thought about, put into that. And he, I just think it completely pays off. And it's one of, I think, his best uh, cast films. I I, I, I just, um, I, from the start of the film playing that Santana song and it's taking us through the San Francisco Chronicle and we're meeting people and we're seeing that Zodiac letter for the first time. It just like, I guess I take it back. It's, I think it starts with the shooting, but uh, when the credits start rolling and we're in San Francisco, I just think you're just like off. It's like when that shot of the gun happens in the beginning and then we're just off on this like goose, wild goose chase, like and seeing how all of these people, how a community too, I think he was really able to capture how the Bay Area, how California was impacted by the Zodiac Killer. And it was um, it was such a turning point, I think, in our nation, that time in the late 60s into the 70s. Um, he was just so thoughtful about everything. And I'm, I'm, I just... I could watch that movie over and over again and I think pick up something new, but I, I, I just, I really just love it. I don't know. It's so, it's so amazing. Yeah. Again, uh, don't want to dive into Fincher too much, but I will say flat out, um, 
objectively might be his best movie. Mm-hmm. It, it truly it's very very close to being a masterpiece i think yeah he i it's it's just and you said the casting everything he's he's amazing he's amazing yeah all right Here, oh and i guess i'll say it's oh, the, yeah. it's the movie that made me want to go to school to go to college in san francisco so it did kind of change change my trajectory i guess my life uh in a way because i probably would have never thought i wanted to go to school in san francisco if i hadn't seen that movie and it just kind of made me fall in love with the bay, bay area and i was like i think i want to be there i, I want to go there and i want to see where the cab driver was shot i want to stand on the corner of that and I did I went and I think I freaked a few of my new friends out when they were like who's this person we're getting to know and they're obsessed with the Zodiac killer but um but yeah sorry that that's my little tangent you heard it here folks Chelsea saw a movie about a serial killer and said that's where I need to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) exactly strange but true (laughs) all right here we go big drum roll Chelsea Burnett's number one movie okay I picked the birdcage Something starts in your pelvis and works its way towards your heart, where it becomes heart slash pelvis. Yes? Coming. What about me? What do I do? Do I just stand here like an object? No. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. That's such a good movie. (laughs) That is a movie that we used to watch a lot on um, uh, AMC, and it, it just always seemed to be on whenever we would tune in to that channel. And it's a movie that, like, think of the Rewatchables, such a good podcast. I would totally want to go on the Rewatchables to talk about The Birdcage because I think it's a movie that you could sit down in any moment and be like, oh, I know the next scene that's coming up, and it's so good, and there's so many good jokes. And um, it's just it's so – I think this – the script is so smart and witty and Gene Hackman. It's like, obviously everyone loves Robin Williams and you're going to love anything he does. And Nathan Lane's really putting it out there and is so great. But as I got older and kept rewatching that movie, I was like, Gene Hackman is so funny in this. And like, he might have some of the funniest lines and his delivery is incredible. So, um, I just, I think the film is well paced. I, a great cast of characters um and uh i think it's just a another pretty darn near perfect movie and i can watch it anytime so i love the birdcage i love the birdcage i agree with you that it is perfect i cannot think of anything i would fix about it um i don't know if you know this but originally they wanted robin williams to play nathan lane's part Mm. and they offered robin williams part to john cleese and John Cleese turned it down. Uh, he said it was one of his two big regrets, the other one being the priest from Princess Bride. And it worked out because Robin Williams wanted he, he I think he was fine with playing Nathan Lane's part, but he's always seen as the eccentric guy. And I think he wanted to play the more subdued Straight character. Man. Yeah. yeah. Even though that his character is is hilarious. Oh, he's um, wonderful. It's so funny to see him unraveling throughout that movie. Just his things yes. are like, and he's trying to make his son happy and keep Nathan Lane happy. And it's, yeah, it's a good, he, he, he's wonderful in that. Yeah. I love, I love that film. And Hank Azaria is <laughs> so good. Um, I, just such a, uh, like 
so funny and so charming and so touching like and it's just it's just wonderful. I love the birdcage. That's that's a great pick. I'm so happy to hear you love it. Oh, Yay. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your your Chelsea's solid gold standards. Uh, top five. <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. So I guess I will go now. Um, so I just want to say these are subject to change, <laughs> as they often do. I would tell my one and two have not changed in years. But uh I really like thought about it, put some thought into this. So here we go. My top five favorite movies of all time. Coming in at number five, I wanted to make sure I put a comedy in. Mm-hmm. And I've got some comedies, all-time comedies that I love, ones we watched growing up and stuff. But for me, there was it was choice was easy. I had to put a comedy in. I put it at number five. It's the big Lebowski. We're talking about unchecked aggression here. What the dude. fuck is he talking my about? My rug. Forget Look, it, Donnie. You're Walter, out of your element. Walter, the Chinaman who peed on my rug. I can't go give him a bill. So what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? The Chinaman is not the issue here, dude. I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. Walter. Solid. I know these days, I think it's a little cliche, but God damn, what a great movie. And, you know, I, I didn't watch it for a long time. And I had friends who were, would tell me, like, friends that know me very well, they're like, you've got to see this movie. Like, this is, this is right up your alley. This is your humor. And I'm like, okay, I'll get around to it. And finally, my mid-20s, I watched it. And I just, I couldn't believe how much I was laughing. And I love, it's not, especially in the mid 2000s which i know it's not what the movie came out but that's when i watched the movie mm-hmm. we were so bombarded with just in your face comedies you know we get the hangover and like will ferrell's in full swing and it's not that i don't like those movies but a little bit of that humor goes a long way and we were just getting shoved in our face so to watch a movie with this really complex humor mm-hmm. like it's not everyone's kind of comedy like making jokes about nihilism it's, you know, it's so brilliant. And the hero is a, is a bumbling moron who doesn't have an original thought the entire movie. He just repeats everything. I, one of my favorite scenes is after it's suggested to him by Julianne uh, Moore's character that Tara Reid really just, you know, she just skipped town and ran off. You know, none of them know if that's true, but now he's telling John Goodman Oh, yeah, I'm sure she just skipped town and ran off. And now John Goodman's getting pissed off about a woman he's never been. That is genius. And I can't believe that when it came out, it got no attention. And it it underperformed in theaters. And it was just over the years of being built up as this cult, into this cult following. And now everybody loves it. And it they should. It just brilliant, brilliant movie. I think that's such a good pick. It's a very good for your comedy pick, if you needed a comedy in your top five, that is so deserving. Yeah, this it's perfect. aggression will not stand, man. <laughs> so quotable. So quotable. That was a movie my mom and my sister saw that. Well, my mom had probably seen it when it came out in the 90s. And my mom showed it to my sister. And they were quoting it and laughing about it all the time. And I felt very left out. <laughs> And I was like, I don't know all these lines. I don't know these funny quotes. And then I finally got to see it. And I was like, okay, now I'm in on it. And um, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love watching comedies with my dad because he, he, my dad's got two laughs. He's got maniacal laughing. And then he's got 
like he's literally falling off the furniture. And one of the few times I saw him do the second one was I made him watch The Big Lebowski. And when the sketch comes up of the stick figure with the erection, I had to pause the movie because he was missing the next parts because he was literally holding himself off the floor from falling off the couch. So great memory. Love that movie. Okay, coming in at number four. Um, every time I, th- I question whether I should keep this movie in my top five, I watch it again and just go, no, I just love this movie so much. It's Inception. Now in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously and our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. That allows us to get right in the middle of that process. How? By taking over the creating part. Now this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream. I love Christopher Nolan. I think he's becoming a little, a little divisive. I think it's kind of like the cool thing to hate his movies now. Um, his movies aren't perfect and they can be flawed, but he's just, who makes movies like Nolan? He shoots for the moon and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember seeing Inception. Inception was one of those movies I saw in theaters and for the rest of the week, I was just like random random spots throughout the day would just go, God damn, that was a good movie. And it's just, I, I, every time I watch it, it's just, I'm so entertained. It's such a neat idea. Like, I can't think of anything like that. Going into dreams or doing a dream heist. Um, and the introduction of Tom Hardy. I didn't know who Tom Hardy was. I remember leaving the theater going, who was that guy? Mm. I want to know who that guy mm. is. And the way it ends, you know, I don't fall for the the trickery. You know, I say that the, the, the top was going to fall over, but... What a great way to end the movie. Zimmer's score. All the great movie scores that he's made, that's got to be top three. Just just such an entertaining movie. Love it. The same amount every time I watch it. Oh, I, may, you make me want to rewatch Inception and see what I can, what else I can take from it. It's, it's not my favorite Nolan film, but I totally get why I love it so much. And I think it was... Um, it, it was very impressive. The, the the being able to explain such a complex, and I really want to see Tenant for this reason because I I uh, Tenant also seems like it's a, a plot that's really hard to wrap your brain around. But I feel like Christopher Nolan is is very skilled at um, being able to get an audience to follow along and not make you feel stupid for not understanding it. Well, I, I will say, I remember when Inception came out and people were saying it was hard to follow. And I felt like I got it the first time I saw it. Um, so when I was hearing that Tenet was hard to follow, I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I watched Tenet and I said, what the hell did I just watch? And I had to watch it again a couple of days later. So it is a little more complex. But I have flirted with thinking Interstellar might be my favorite Nolan movie. And then I watch Inception again and go, no, it's Inception. So I don't want to talk too much about Nolan because I'm sure we'll do a Nolan episode. Sure, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Love Nolan. Love that movie. So number three, much easier choice for me. I'm eight years old. Every time I watch this movie again, it's Jurassic Park. (laughs) 
I could watch Jurassic Park once a week for the rest of my life. The movie is just it's so well crafted. And the thing about Spielberg is he's one of those few directors that have you read the book? No, I have not. I've only read one Michael Crichton book. I think I read the Andromeda Strain and that's it. But yeah. It's quite different from the book. And there's certainly key parts, but there's even some scenes in the book that get moved to the Lost World. But he changed quite a bit. The characters are different. Hammond is wearing a suit and he's kind of a pompous dick. Uh, Alan Grant's a little older, a barrel-chested, bearded man. Uh, the lawyer is one of the most important characters in the book. Spielberg make all these changes. And it's so difficult to make a movie out of a book. And I mean, I don't know what else you can want. And honestly, the T-Rex scene is probably my favorite scene of all time. I'm gripping my seat every time I watch that scene. Um, I just, I, I truly, truly, I am eight years old in the movie theater again every time I watch that movie. Have you been able to rewatch it um, in theaters? I know that they re-released it, I think, for an anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, and I got mm -hmm. to go see it with Mike. And yeah, they released it in 3D, I think, in like 2012 or something. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around that time. I did go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I will say I still have it on DVD, standard DVD. And I kind of want to keep that because I have seen uh, the HD versions mm. of, of it. And, ooh, man. The CGI looks dated and high def. Let me tell you. That's uh, like uh, Disney movies, animated movies on Blu-ray. I'm not really a big fan. I don't like what it's done to the style of the animation with some of that when it's too high def. But credit to Spielberg for the use of practical. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, The fact that that T-Rex and half the shots is animatronic is... Uh, I, I'm glad Jaws didn't scare him away from animatronics forever. Yeah, well, of course, and then the brilliant movie made to to not to not show the shark, you know, because of mechanical failures, but it it made the movie so much better. So, Jurassic Park coming in number three. I just what a great movie. Good pick. So my number two, we're gonna keep your theme going here. Uh, this has been my number two favorite film for since I was in high school. Um, I, I always love it a little more every time I watch it. Let's go, Fincher. It's seven. You're kidding me. Call the print lab. Oh, man. Honestly, have you ever seen anything like this? I love Seven, and I've had some interesting conversations with your husband because he does not like Seven, and I think he's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I want to be careful about how we talk about Seven since we're, we're going to be talking about Fincher on the next episode. But I just, you hear the description. A serial killer is killing people based off the seven deadly sins. I'm in. You don't need to tell me that Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are in it. I'm already in. Yeah. And I do. I'm pretty fascinated with religion. I grew up in the Bible Belt and... I love that stuff. So any any religious themes, uh, I'm I'm all in. But so many great choices. Um, I love the ending, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about Fincher. Why I love the ending so much. Um, so ahead of its time. I'm, it always blows me away when I see some of the scenes. I'm like, this came out in '95. Mm. Like I, I I'll never get sick of it. Anything about it. Every it's perfect. It's so perfect. I I will have it's. It's funny that you said my husband does not like that movie because the time he watched it, I'd already seen the movie, but I fell asleep watching it with him. So I like 
slept through the final act. And then I woke up to seeing Micah was so upset about how it ended. So I really need to rewatch it. Maybe I, maybe I won't get to rewatch it around him, but I'll have to rewatch it because uh, I've, I I think there's there's a lot of details that I'm I'm missing out on. But I remember the first time I saw it being so blown away by that movie. And I'm very interested in like serial killers and, and that, um, I mean, I guess going back to Zodiac. So um, that already hooked me um, by that concept. So of the story um, and yeah. Yeah, Good I remember choice. I went to rent it and there was still Blockbuster. Not just still Blockbusters, but they still had a VHS section. They did not have it on DVD. I had to rent it on VHS and we only had one room in the house with a VCR. And I just remember there were scenes I was just pausing and like going, you can do that? Like, I just I just remember being gripped to the TV and then the movie ended and I just sat there. And I think that's why I love it because we always get happy endings. Mm-hmm. I want more complicated endings. Yeah. Things don't always end happy. You know, we'll talk. There was famously, they wanted to change the ending and thankfully they didn't. We'll talk more about that next time. But yeah, number two, seven. You know, it takes guts to stick to that ending and run the risk of people being really turned off by it. But yeah, but for some, like you, it really worked. <laughs> That's so. right. All right. So here's my number one, my big number one, the movie that made me stop and go, I didn't know movies could be like this. I didn't know movies can make you think about things this way. Um, I, f- I saw it a little later and then after it came out, I was 18 years old when I saw this movie. It's been my number one ever since then, almost 20 years. It's Pulp Fiction. I just, there's no words to describe how much I love this movie. And every time I watch it, I just realize I never get sick of it. It came out in 94. I was in in between fourth and fifth grade. Mm. And my parents saw it in theaters. My dad would not shut up about it. He just kept talking about this movie. And then it came out to Blockbuster and he rented it. But he wouldn't let me watch it, mm. obviously, I was a child. <laughs> so all these years go by, my dad talking about this movie and the things he liked about it. He loved the final scene. And I finally saw it at 18. And I wanted to watch it again immediately afterwards. Now I watched it on like HBO or something. So I had, I couldn't watch it, <sighs> but uh, I remember I wanted to go out to buy it and you couldn't buy it anywhere because they were about to release a special edition. So I had to, oh. I had to pre-order the special edition, but once I had it, I watched it so many times and it was the a movie that showed you how complex people are and you have these two guys that are hired killers, but you like them and there's more to them than just that they're killers and the dialogue Tarantino. I mean, it's what he's famous for is the dialogue who writes dialogue like this. Mm -hmm. They're talking about hamburgers and you're on every word, you know, they're talking about pigs and how filthy pigs are. And you, you know, talking about foot rubs and you just, you just want to be in the conversation. You want to talk to movies. Don't do that. It's, it's, Standard form conversations until Pulp Fiction. And just the scenes moving out of order, making you focus on the characters more. And John Travolta, who I knew from like, look who's talking. And now it's like, oh, wow. You know, it's just, I I could go on forever. I could go on forever. I can't wait to do a Tarantino episode with you. But just Pulp Fiction will be my favorite movie until the end of time. I think that is such a cool choice. I and 
I, I mean, Pulp Fiction is the movie that I remember thinking like people that knew a lot about movies and uh, were like cool cinephiles, like they all knew about Pulp Fiction, knew had the poster on their walls. And I feel like I waited way too long to see that movie. Um, and I've only seen it once. I have to watch it again. But um, I, I, from everything you just said, though, I'm remembering feeling that way. The the dialogue, it's 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 really cool what Quentin Tarantino can do with like a mundane topic, but punch it up with his the his style his flair he adds to the dialogue yes. um and i like what you said about like these are two guys who on the surface may just seem like they're just killers but they're the they run the whole spectrum they're they're a p they're people and they're well-rounded and i think it's so cool that quentin tarantino always tries to show the spectrum of humanity and and how we all have different levels layers to us yes yeah yeah well, if you've only seen it once, you can borrow. I have two copies. Okay. I have the special edition DVD with the Jack Rabbit Slim's menu in it, and then I have a Blu-ray copy. So. Oh my gosh! All right, <laughs> I'll take whatever one you'll let me borrow. <laughs> whatever one right. you think I should borrow. So, going on to the next part, I'd love to hear. I want to talk about and hear from you the best movie you've seen in the last five years, and I can go first, or you can go whatever you'd like to do. I think you should go. Okay. Uh, for me, it was an absolute no-brainer, and I'm kind of coming in under the gun here in the five-year mark, but it is hands down Moonlight. I knew the, I'm knew i so thankful I knew the bare minimum going in to seeing it in theaters. I, I mean, when I say the bare minimum, I mean the bare minimum. And I was completely enthralled the entire time. In fact, I remember going into the third act, my bladder was on fire. I had to go to the bathroom <laughs> so bad, and I was like, I can't. I don't want to miss a single second of this movie, but there's so many complexities to it and so many human relationships and, and fleshing this one person out through three stages of his life. But the third act in particular and watching him struggle still with identity and not just with his sexuality, but just his identity. And like, is he this badass, mm-hmm. you know, guy and, to, and you know you, you see the opening scenes in that third act and he's he's got women calling him and he's he's doing some shady shit and he's got the cool car until he runs into that person again and this wall comes down and you see the subtle differences in his face and everything um and i just remember sitting there just i don't think shaken is the right word but just so moved mm-hmm. at the last line and the last shot and it was two men, particularly two men from two black men from a from a lower class neighborhood, just holding each other, and it's not sexualized, and it's not. It was just a real moment, and um, God, I just I I really just loved that movie, and I remember thinking about it for weeks after I saw it, reading every article I could about it. Then the whole fiasco happened at the Oscars. I, I remember like I saw La La Land and I was like, I don't really like musicals, but I was entertained by it. And when they when they said La La Land won, I wasn't, you know, eh, that's about par for the course. And then when they announced Moonlight, I jumped off my couch. I was like, yes, yes, Moonlight is the best picture of the year. So um, I haven't, I own it and still haven't watched it since I in theaters. And I think it's because there's people that I want to watch it with me yeah. <laughs> and I keep waiting for that moment. Cause I want other people to see it because it's just so, so wonderful and moving. And, uh, but yeah, 
Best movie I've seen in the last five years, hands down, Moonlight. Do you think it made you think about things differently? Did, did it like change your perspective on humanity or anything by seeing it? Or did you almost feel like validated by seeing it like, oh, like, or like this, wow, I'm triggered now by seeing that, that last moment you said in the movie, it really was impactful to you. And sometimes when I have those, um, when I'm not moved by something, it's kind of like something stirs inside me that I didn't know was there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something that is all around us, but we don't like take those quiet moments to really take them in. Is that kind of how you felt about it or? Man, I think that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, you know, I think for me, you know, the movie takes place in the South, it's in Miami, I believe. And, you know, I grew up in the South in a very diverse uh, part of Louisiana and, um, I knew guys like that. Mm-hmm. I knew guys like him and I was friends with them and I worked with them and uh, I knew guys like that my whole life. Um, you know what I think it is? I think I just, the people in my life and the people I have relationships with, that's extremely important to me to the point where I suffer from the problem when, you know, friends drift apart. I'm always like, no, 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 we're going to be, we're going to be friends forever. Um. And it's just not realistic. So I'm just, when people have, when you see in a movie, human connection like that, and it feels so real, and particularly a situation like that, that you don't see a lot, yeah, but it still feels real. That just means a lot to me. I don't think we, you know, there's so much negativity in the world right now. So anytime you can get positive human connection out of something, that's, it's just, just warms your soul. Oh, yeah. So if you haven't seen Moonlight, my God, go see Moonlight. Yeah, I, I have to watch it again. I've only seen it once, but um, I was oh, I was blown away. Uh, everything you said, I agree with. Uh, but you just make me want to rewatch it again because I, I wish I had sat longer with my feelings about it. I think maybe I was too caught up at the moment because I saw it after the Academy Awards and all that mm-hmm. drama had gone on. So I think maybe that was kind of clouding my vision as I was watching it because I was just remembering like, okay, like compared to La La Land, but like on its own, I'd really just like to see it as a piece all its own. And I think it's so deserving. I'm so glad I won that best picture. Me too, me too. And uh, anyway, so Chelsea, best movie you've seen in the last five years. Yes. Um, I wait with this anticipation. Was very difficult. I'm so excited. This was really difficult. I had three movies written down and I was like, you're going to make up your mind when you get there and screw it. I'm going to go with this one. All right. I'm <laughs> I'm going to go with Good Time, uh, which is the Safdie Brothers film um, with Robert Pattinson. I knew nothing about that movie. Um, it showed up on Amazon Prime one night when Micah and I were just looking for something to watch. I think we were, we were kind of taken by the poster and we watched a trailer and we said, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. And it is a movie that I was completely gripped by. I thought it was a fresh filmmaking voice. Um, it made me see also Robert Pattinson in a new way because I'm kind of of the generation, the Twilight generation. <laughs> so like in college, my friends and I went and saw all those Twilight movies. And um, I know that Robert Pattinson wants to really move away from that. Um yeah, I think Vampire by the end of that, thing. everyone involved was uh, 
thankful for the money, but not thankful for the image. Yeah, exactly. Thankful for the money. And I think it's really cool what he and Kristen Stewart are doing with the money that they got on those films. Um, and they're putting it behind projects that they're really passionate about and are interesting. And it's good time, I think, is um, – did you see Uncut Gems? I did see Uncut Gems. Have you seen Good Time? I have not seen Good Time. Okay. I was waiting. I was waiting to tell you that. So, yeah, yeah I think if um, – I liked Good Time more than Uncut Gems. I think Uncut Gems was a – I saw the point behind it. They wanted you to feel uncomfortable. and it, Oh, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, unrelenting. <laughs> and uh, you're on the edge of your seat. And it's it's a well really well made and well acted. But I think that there is an element of Good Time that has um, – Robert Pattinson's bringing something a little bit more to uh, a character that's very similar to the Adam Sandler character too where they're a little out of their depth. Uh, they're, they're in too deep, whatever. They're just, they've, they're rolling with the punches and they're, it's very messy and sloppy. And, um, but I think that Robert Pattinson, uh, just takes that Safdie Brothers film to the next level for me, um, in terms of liking it a little bit more than Uncut Gems. Um, and I, um, I feel so bad I'm forgetting the actor's name, but did you ever see Captain Phillips? the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, the actor, though, he's an African actor who played one of the pirates in that, and he Look was nominated. Look at me. Yes. I'm the captain now. Yeah. He, They got him for good time. He has a, uh, a part in that film, and I was so happy to see him again, and I thought the the role they cast him in was, was really perfect, and... Um, yeah, I could just go on and on about Good Time. I, I, I've actually only seen it once. I, I need to watch it again, but I was really taken with it, really gripped by it. And um, I'm super excited to see what the Safdie brothers are going to do after um, after Uncut Gems. So um, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, that movie has really stuck with me. And if I'm allowed to have an honorable mention, Please. I'll keep it very short. But um, Under the Silver Lake is not a perfect movie by any means. It's kind of, it's very weird. And I didn't like the last act of the movie, but I could not stop talking about that movie after I saw it. I talked with my coworker, uh, many coworkers actually, started with my friend and coworker, Brittany. And then we just started gabbing about it to everyone. And it, there's just, I don't know if you've seen Under the Silver Lake, but it will, it will just make you think about things in, in a new way. And, um, it uh i i really liked um andrew garfield's performance in it i thought he played like this total uh schlub of a guy that i i it was kind of fun to see him in that role and um it also plays upon a lot of like classic hollywood uh motifs and the score is really beautiful it reminds me a lot of like classic hollywood films and it's um set in hollywood uh so there's a lot to love about the movie I, I, I didn't really like where it ended up, but I still think it's worth watching. So that's my honorable mention is Under the Silver Lake. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll check that out. And I have been wanting to watch Good Time. I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, I did see Uncut Gems, which I thought was well-made movie, good acting. But, oh, man, it's uh, stressful. Uh, <laughs> of course, my Lacey, my girlfriend, she she actually left the room halfway through the movie. She's like, I can't, I can't do this mm -hmm. anymore. But uh, I've heard nothing but good things about Good Times, and uh, that was the movie that made everybody go, Oh, Robert Pattinson can can act, yeah. Other than Harry Potter and Twilight, so uh, uh, it's definitely been on my list. And I don't sound very professional as podcast, and I haven't seen it. But uh, oh no, no, uh, no, no. no. I, 
I'm I'm excited for you to see it and tell me what you think about it. Yeah, I think it's still on Netflix, so I'm definitely gonna try to watch it soon. But uh, all right, so we're gonna close out each episode with a recommendation, a movie we've seen recently. It doesn't have to be a new movie, it could be an old movie. Um, as we do our recommendations, we're gonna give it a scale of one to three. Three being, hey, you need to go see this movie. Two, get around to it. And one, watch at your own peril. <laughs> or don't bother. Uh, so please, Chelsea, what is your recommendation for this for this episode? Well, after talking about the Oscars, um, I, so I did watch Sound of Metal. I was, so I, that's my recommendation. And I say it's a three. You, you gotta go. Uh, you gotta watch it. I was... Just, I mean, I was a blubbering mess watching. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure why I got quite the emotional reaction exactly out of it that I did. Um, I, I mean, I, maybe I was just in the mood for crying, but I, I do think, so yeah, if you, if you feel like you need a good cry, put it on. I think it's not like sappy uh, type of crying. I think it was just like, it, there were so much like power and anger and, and sadness behind, um, Riz Ahmed's performance and the way he was able to show um, that kind of confusion and uh, the fear he had about losing his hearing so suddenly and the extra level of him dealing with being a, a an ex-heroin addict and um, the fear that this um, new trauma of him losing his hearing could cause him to slip in his sobriety, I thought was like, I didn't know that going into the movie that there was that extra element to it. Um, and also a little backstory, I, I took ASL as my foreign language credit in, um, in college. And um, I, uh, I guess it's kind of funny to call it foreign language, but <laughs> American Sign Language, but still it was I, it's something I really wish I had kept up with. I had an incredible um, uh, sign language professor. He was deaf and he was such a great um, like deaf uh, advocate. And um, he had talked about how those cochlear implants are quite like controversial in uh, the deaf community. And I thought the movie um, with, with having that, knowing that backstory, I was like really able to better understand. And I, I guess I shouldn't spoil this movie, but I was better able to understand, um, some decisions that were made in the film, um, uh, around Riz Ahmed's character and, and why, um, where his, uh, where his life took him. So, um, I just think it was, uh, just loved the movie. I understand why it may walk away not winning any Oscars just because I think there's a few more showier films. Um, but I, it'd be cool for it to win some sound, um, the sound Oscar. I'm not sure if it will, but I thought the sound design was done really, really well. So that's my pick. Yeah. Uh, I saw Sound of Metal. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, as a 20-year musician, it uh, gave me extreme anxiety. Um <laughs> One thing I really appreciated in it, and, and I felt the same way about Minari is, you know, we watch movies where we're always waiting for the next catastrophe. And I felt like throughout Sound of Metal, I was like waiting for the next shoe to drop and it never comes. And it was so refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, uh, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a very good, surprisingly good movie, especially when you see the, the banner for it and like the advertisements on your Roku or Amazon's fire stick it, it you're like what is that and then you watch it and it's probably nothing like what you're expecting yeah it's it's uh yes 
I'll shut up about it. I tend to ramble. So I loved how you just <laughs> summed it up. That's perfect. <laughs> right. Uh, so my recommendation, and I'm, I'm always watching movies, so I, I try to be pick which ones for recommendations. But um, I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie or even heard of it. It's a Martin Scorsese movie from the early 80s called After Hours. It's not what you'd expect from Martin Scorsese. And he's done a good job of having variety over the years. But particularly in the early 80s, he's coming off of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. After Hours is nothing like those movies. It's a dark comedy. It is one of the most bizarre movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it's about uh, a guy who's got a mundane job um, working in corporate New York and hates his job, clearly. Doesn't voice it. You just see it. And he goes to a diner, meets a very young Rosanna Arquette, and she gives him his number. And for some reason, on this weeknight, late at night, he decides to call the number. She's staying with a friend and she invites him over. And from there, his night gets worse and worse and worse in the weirdest way possible. I'm, I know that there's some point to the movie about what I was saying earlier about the critics criticizing the eighties yuppie work mentality. Um, but I don't know how that movie connects to that. Um, but one thing I will say is a lot of young talent, um, young Will Patton, uh, John Hurd, the father from home alone is in it. Uh, Terry, uh, Oh, I can't remember her last name. She was in Young Frankenstein. Uh, it starts with a G. Terry Gar. Yeah, she she's in it. Um, Cheech and Chong have cameos in it. It's just all these people that you recognize popping up. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, very young Catherine O'Hara pops up. Uh, very weird movie. Very funny movie. Uh, I'm going to give it a two because it's definitely not going to be for everyone, but I believe it's still on HBO Max right now. So After Hours, Martin Scorsese. Check it out when you get time. Awesome. All right. Well, we did it. That concludes the first episode of the Marquee Spotlight. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. So uh, we're going to keep this going. And um, the next episode, uh, we'll, we're going to cover the works of David Fincher, who we just love so much. So thank you for tuning in. Please tune in next time. Uh, Chelsea, thank you so much. Thank you. All thank right. You. We'll see you. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. A cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.